Welcome to Kineo Stream of Thought, a monthly podcast that features informal chat from the Kineo team about all things learning. I'm Paul Westlake, a solutions consultant at Kineo, and today we're encouraging you to step outside the data comfort zone. This month, I'm pleased to say that I'm joined around the table by... Laura Parsons, marketing analyst. Peter Smith, technical team lead. Uh, Jez Anderson, head of consulting. Thanks all. So by way of an intro to the show this month, we've produced a report on data in L&D in conjunction with Towards Maturity, HT2 Labs and Filtered. And specifically, the findings are showing that there's big differences between how the top deck use data, so that's the highest performing businesses, if you like, and how that contrasts with how everyone else is using it. And without stealing the whole report's thunder, which I'm sure you could download and read, we'll tell you about that later. Here are some of the headlines to get us started. So 99% of participants want to demonstrate impact of learning, and yet only 38% think they actually do so. 98% want to improve learning design, yet only 56% think that they use the data to help them do that. And finally, um, a big one for me, a huge 96% want to win the hearts and minds of stakeholders, yet less than 50% feel that they actually do. So maybe we should start with what data we should be looking at and and what we should be measuring. Because if we're talking about L&D data, surely all we're talking about is um, completions on an LMS, right? That's certainly the the traditional view. And so as... Everyone in the industry knows we've had the the very lovely SCORM API, uh, which has held sway for the last 20 years or so. And that's very much focused on gathering an individual's completion records, whether they've actually managed to get to the end of a a piece of e-learning and whether they've fulfilled all the requirements of it. And that's really the main source of reporting data which L&D professionals have had, who's completed what course. Whereas the kind of data that you're talking about there, Paul, is... Um, It's a quite different data set. It's not about the individual. It's about a much broader spread of interactions. And really, we we do need a different tool set to record that sort of data. I think the importance of people wanting to to use data more is great. And I think it's an absolute key finding for us. Um, It shows that there is hunger and passion there for, for understanding the impact that learning and development is having probably individually, but also organisationally. So that's, that's one thing. And, you know, the will is a, is a good way forward. The key will be, in my mind, will be the questions that organisations and learning and development want to ask of themselves and of their organisation to know what data they need to process. Traditionally, data has been, from an L&D point of view, has been, as Pete says, it's quite low level. You know, it's quite functional. It's how many people, it's how many, you know, bums on seats. It's what did people think about a particular approach to the, the learning versus actually starting to understand how, how that learning has a, an impact on their performance. And that's always been difficult. Um, and I'm, I think that the new technologies are starting to make that easier to do but and the big but is learning and development have got to catch up in terms of how to use that technology to do that do you think they're comfortable doing that jez no no i don't i think traditionally l and d have uh, for whatever reason have have always struggled a little bit for those people familiar with kirkpatrick the levels three and four which is really when you're starting to get into the deeper levels of how learning has impacted on organizations and individuals within organizations 
And I think it's hard. It's been hard to actually really understand what questions you need to ask to get the right information from that. So I don't think I think the wills there, as I said, I think it's some. It's actually about skill, and I think this is probably where we come in that we can start to help people develop the skills to do that, but also give them the technology which they can start to utilise better. I think. Actually, you're absolutely right, Chaz, completely agree. But before we get onto the slightly deeper waters of Kirkpatrick 3 and 4, there are actually a load of quick wins which um, are open to, to people within L&D without actually having to go down the whole route of evaluation. There, there are more reasons for wanting to gather data than just demonstrating ROI or the effectiveness of your training. And so one, one really good example is just simply understanding how, how people are doing the learning content that we produce changes our approach to actually producing that learning content. So if you plug in Google Analytics to your LMS or your e-learning, then we can find out how many people are actually accessing the courses on smartphones. So you can see whether there's a significant drop-off of people who are using smartphones against people who are learning on the desktop. You can have a look at if there's a difference in length of time spent on courses for um, people who are based somewhere else globally, and so therefore whether you should actually translate your content, even though in theory everyone is in an English-speaking office. Those are the sorts of bits of information that you can get with very, very little technical overhead. No, I think that's a really good point. We've spoken to clients in the past, and they've said, oh, everyone does this on mobile, so it's really important it's updated for iOS 12 when that arrives. And I know we've pulled data and said, well, actually, you know, less than 3% of your users are actually accessing that stuff because you've actually got the data to back it up rather than that assumption. Exactly. And it's very often actually a case of taking particular technologies off the list and not investing the time and effort needed to build courses to work in those technologies, test against those top technologies and possibly compromise your, your content um, based on, as you say, actual proper data of what people are really using out in the real world. So you mentioned Google Analytics there. So Google Analytics, I think, is something probably, if anyone's done uh, made a website or whatever, they've probably got it in there so they know, you know where people are accessing this from, etc. So are you saying that it's relatively straightforward to do exactly the same with an LMS? Uh, yes, it depends on the LMS, obviously, but if you're using, say, a Moodle LMS, then it's simply a config option. You just need to generate your Google Analytics tracking codes and just drop it into a, a field on Moodle and click save. And what um, sort of things can people see from that? Is it like amount of time on pages or you know which topics they're going to yeah, absolutely. Um, how long people are spending on each page, how many pages they're viewing after that, um, where they're from city-wise, what browser they're on, um, which page they landed on, which page they exited the LMS from, all sorts. The, the key difference is that this isn't a person in the SCORM sense. This is a user agent. It's, um, it's a person, but you're looking at it as an aggregated mass rather than the individual learner's uh, route through course content or an LMS. Well, what I think is quite interesting, in the report it showed that only 13% of LMSs actually have Google Analytics implemented on them, but if you applied that to websites in general, that would be madness. So that's kind of a basic, fundamental thing you would add. What, why, why would you use that? Why would you add it to a website? What sort of, what sort of things could you do with that data? 
it's fundamental really in understanding how your marketing is working you know if you know that people are coming to you through the adverts that you've been running then you'll know to do more of that um, and those are the kind of things you can apply to L&D if you have tracking set up you can know if your internal campaign for your latest content has worked if people aren't coming through your tracking for that then you know that you need to revise that and perhaps think of other ways to market your new content. So, so in summary, what you're saying then is that people will use that data to point them in a direction to then make um, you know, choices around what to update, what to amend, what to change, what to leave, what to remove, etc. And then bearing in mind what we said at the start of the show around uh, the report that says 98% of businesses want to improve their learning design, in theory, we could argue that, well, if we've got data knowing what people are accessing, what they're not accessing, you know, accessing it, it's going to point us in the right direction to know what we need to update. Absolutely. Um, and you can have a look at the bounce rate, the average time on page for each of your courses. And if you've got one that's really fundamental, but it's not getting much engagement, then you can have a look and see, is that just based because all of our team are using a browser that can't access that content? Um, or is there a problem that is just not engaging enough? And you could use that data to prioritise the content for your internal teams. Okay, so so we've got Google Analytics and we've got standard completion data, if you like. You mentioned things like heat maps and like. So before we move on to what we're going to actually do with the data, how else can people um, record data? Heat mapping is another favourite of mine, um, just because you can actually see in a very visual way what people are doing on your website or your platform. So you don't have to be an analyst to really get stuck in the data. Again, these can be really easy things to add to your platform. It's just a bit of code. Um, but you would set up your heat map on certain pages and you would see where there's um red marks on a page that's where people are spending a lot of time whereas perhaps a cooler color like blue people aren't spending as much time there and that can then show you if you put your content that you need people to be doing perhaps compliance and that's in an area people aren't looking at perhaps move that to an area people are focusing on um, and that can just help you prioritize where your essential bit should be but you can also see whether people are actually reaching the content you want how far down they're scrolling on a page if they're not seeing your calls to action, then perhaps those need to be bumped up. So, Pete, can I pick up on what Laura's just said there? So, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure you will. Um, we're talking about websites, etc. So, if I take that a step further, if we're talking about a piece of adapt content, which is what HTML5, which I think I'm right in saying is what most websites are written in these days anyway. In theory, could we do this or do a similar sort of thing where we heat map a piece of learning content to see where people are are looking around the page and therefore help us to design of that? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Um, And it's it's going to be both useful and not useful. Um, It'll be useful. Let's go for the useful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it'd be really handy from uh, the technology perspective. And so particularly looking at the the UI and the UX of all the standard elements in the DAP page. So is having the resources button up at the top right a useful thing? Um, Does anyone ever actually click on the page level progress, which is actually a a second level of navigation that we've got in ADAPT courses? From the feedback we've had, um, I think most learners actually aren't aware that they can click and navigate through it, in which case we could redesign it and again, look back at the heat map, see how people interact with it, see if the redesign works, maybe try two or three different versions of it before settling on a, a good approach. So in that respect, that would be a really useful thing to add into ADAPT courses and useful data to analyse. 
Um, on the flip side, I do think that we have a slightly more complicated task with learning and development than maybe um, marketeers do, uh, particularly if the marketeer is looking after an e-commerce website where everything is self-contained in one site and it's really easy to come up with a clear objective because the objective is to get your um, user from point A through to point B quickly and then get them through the sales process, get them to buy as much as possible and complete the checkout process. So that's what you want someone to do. With learning, it's a little bit more subtle. So if you think about um, the concept of engagement, engagement from a marketing perspective, it's all about length of time that someone spends on the page, and more time is better in almost all circumstances. With learning, it's not quite as clear-cut as that. If someone's spending a long time on a page, it might be because you've got really good, rich content and they're fascinated in it. Equally, it might be that you've built an overly complex course, you've used loads of jargon, and people are really struggling to get through it. Or you've got an asset which is um, a 10 meg graphic which somehow snuck in and it's just taking ages to load. Could be all sorts of things going on with learning. Um, and the final objective isn't quite so clear-cut because you want someone to understand your content, you want someone to internalise your content, and ultimately you want someone to change their behaviour based on that content. And most of that happens well away from the e-learning course that you're tracking. Excellent. So the answer was, yes, we can do it then. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, we can, really and yes, good. we absolutely should do, but it won't necessarily solve um, the whole question of evaluation. Or in fact, it definitely won't solve the whole question of evaluation. Cool. Thank you. So um, thinking about this data that we're talking about then, so I, I guess we should look about what what data should we be looking at? And I'm, I'm sure in a lot of cases that there's an awful lot of data in businesses that comes from numerous different sources. So for example, you know, I'm going to use my old world again, but you know, we've got till data and we had ordering data and then we had training data and then we have waste percentage data and all of there's a huge amount of data there that you could in theory say, if we did a piece of learning around X, then it could affect one or more of those um, results. The problem there was always that they were in loads of different places. So as an example, um, I remember writing um, a, a piece of health and safety training for, a, for, for an HSE department. Um, and when I asked about success of that or how we're going to measure success of that, and they said, well, obviously, it's the amount of people that have done that piece of learning. And I said, well surely we're going to see a reduction in accidents and and you know said well yes that would be lovely but we can't possibly say that the reduction in accidents is anything to do with the fact that people have done a piece of learning that's too much of a leap of faith so it always seems a bit weird for me that people are sort of um, almost resistant to claim the effect that their learnings had but the, the key to my question is this how do we pull all of those different bits of information and all those bits of data from all over the place together into one and then sort of produce a report or um, something that, that reflects it's actually made a difference? Well, not to be a Google fangirl, but they've got this wonderful reporting tool called Google Data Studio, um, which is fantastic. It's free for everyone. It can handle big data, um, and it pulls in data from multiple sources. It's got connections with your Google Analytics, which you're obviously all going to set up now. Um, but if you can put something in a Google Sheet, it will pull into Google Data Studio, and you can have all of your different data sources together and create charts, funnels, and just show the correlation between those data sets. 
And also, well, as well as this, um, a lot of our clients will have something similar um, proprietary already set up. So certainly all of our, biz, uh, all of our big clients will have a, a business warehouse um, set up, which will have several systems feeding into it. Um, a lot of them will also have a feed straight from their learning management system. And so they will be able to do some of the, the kind of data analysis that you're talking about. But obviously, different organizations have different um, levels of integration. And they will all put a slightly different level of importance on that training data going in. So obviously, if the, their core business is based around um, getting good data from sales and driving the revenues up, they will probably be doing a lot more interpretation of those sorts of records than they will around anything um, L&D and training related, at a guess. So I know on previous shows we've talked about um, LRS and um, how we can bring different types of data together. So would that be a good fit for what we're talking about here? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's certainly a route in. Um, XAPI has obviously got two big benefits to it. One of them is that you get much more flexible data going into it. You've got a lot more control over what sorts of statements you can send to your learning record store. Um, if you go for a learning record store like Learning Locker, then you have a, a lot of opportunity there to, um, to carry out data integrations. So you could either use your LRS as your one central point of all information and throw your sales data and um, HR data and whatever else you might want to go into it, uh, into that and query that. Or you could use um, one of the uh, business intelligence type systems that I just mentioned and use that as your central data store. It, really it all really depends on how much data you have and uh, how many data integration points you want to deal with. Okay, so, so we've got a way of capturing all of this data. We know how we're going to do that. Um, but still, traditionally, all we've really done is produced a number of reports on the back of that data. So if we actually start pulling it into one place, surely we can now analyse it rather than just report on it. We, we can. I mean, I think, you know, and I, I sort of fly against the wind a little bit here. But I think that ultimately we, we do need to almost pull back a little bit from... Um, from just looking at how you pull the data together and using the processes to, to the fundamental thing, which is about what questions do you want the data to answer? So what is the problem that you're trying to understand more of? So your example, Paul, of, the, of, of accidents, you know, if that's the, what you're trying to solve, what data is going to best give you that? Some of that might be learning data, but other, it might be other data. It might be about um, turnover in terms of your staff turnover. It might be about performance review data. It's, it's looking at how we can pick on the things that already exist within an organisation and pull that together to answer these questions. That, that for me, is the fundamental. I don't think L&D necessarily always have the skill set to do that. Um, and I think that's something that we can help develop and grow um, with the data capability, but also how to utilise the data to its best. Ironically, the when I asked the question about why wouldn't we want to see a reduction in accidents, as in surely that's why we're doing the learning, um, the, the message came back was, uh, well, we just need to prove that everyone's done it. So when there are accidents, you know, we can prove that wasn't our fault, <laughs> which is which is dreadful, really. And, and, and that's exactly the, some of the issue. And again, it's about actually changing the nature of learning and development from being quite parental in some ways. 
So how do we own, you know, learning and development owns the process and owns the content and owns the, 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 the fact that people have to do it. And that's what they're charged with doing by the business. What we're saying and what we're starting to move towards is a shift in that by saying that actually L&D can provide a real insight into how organisations can improve through their people, through the effectiveness of their L&D strategies. So it's not just about you know, the, the, the virtual bums on seats. It is much more about the impact that learning is having on the day-to-day performance of individuals and the organisations that they're part of. If you ask the right questions to begin with and seek out the data which is going to help answer those questions. And I, I do think that's that's a really big if. Those are the key bits. So it's all you need to think about the data before you even start to think about designing the course. It's got to be the data that comes first and also be really clear about your set of objectives. And even then, demonstrating cause and effect, if we stick with the health and safety example, there could be any number of factors which cause a spike in the number of incidents. And so it's partly the, the quality of data going in, but you also need to have that high quality analysis and a good range of data so that you can um, close off as many of those spikes, um, or you need good data design, so you might want A-B testing, or all those sorts of techniques. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult. Yeah, and, and I think, that, so, sorry Pete, sorry to interrupt you, it's, but it's that, it's that thing for me about actually applying some thinking to the process that you're actually undertaking, and not just chucking the tools in and hoping it will work, because the reality of it is, it won't. But sh- surely that's the question for the stakeholder, isn't it? That's a, yeah, if someone's come to me and said, I, I need you to create a piece of learning for X, you would assume, there you go, and we know the danger of that, but I would assume that they've already done some sort of analysis to say, this is the issue, this is what we're going to try and solve, this is how we're going to measure that. But in a lot of cases, through my previous experience, you've rarely asked that question to the stakeholder of, well, what does success look like? Yeah, I agree. I think, and I think that it's it's something that it's a bit like an elephant in the room, really. What is it that you trying? What you know? What are you trying to improve? And soon as you commission a piece of training, the next step is right. I've got to get that piece of training out there. I said X number of people will will, will experience that training within a six month period. That's what I'm interested in. And then it's very quickly you move on to the next project, the next piece of training. And this is why, in my experience, evaluation always sort of slips down the bottom because there's always something else coming down the door, through the door in terms of implementation. So when we're starting to look at how to process data and the richness of data and the improved ability of accessing data, actually it'll help speed that process up. So it may, you know, the ideal would be is that you haven't really got to think about anything after, it, after the event. All the work's got to be done up front, you know, like painting a wall. You've got to rub it down. You've got to make sure it's filled properly. If you do all that up front, then the wall looks great. You haven't got to worry about what it looks like afterwards. It's that, it's that whole process for me about actually putting some effort up front to understand um, what, 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 what that measurable difference is going to be and what it is that you're actually trying to achieve. Sure, and if we take that step back and do that bit up front, then surely subsequent pieces are going to be even easier. Yeah, it should be. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's lots of evidence of great evaluation studies out there. There's lots of evidence of people where they've done it, you know, running control groups, etc. So there's lots of good practice in that. But I think the reality of it is that we have to, we just have to work with organisations to help them utilise this, this technology better um, to, 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 to their best advantage. 
and also make it really easy to, to get the reports because, as you say, it's quite easy to forget these things and never return to it, whereas it's evaluation over time. E-learning degrades in exactly the same way that everything else does and the impacts of it and um, well, people's, people's recollection of it also um, dips over time. So you need to automate the process of reporting on it. You need to automate the process of nudging people to, to repeat their learning, all, all of those sorts of things. And again, learning systems can be set up to do that. Yeah, and potentially nudge people or nudge L&D teams to go back and revisit a piece of learning they put out two years ago. Does it need updating? Has you know has process changed? Is there an easier way of doing this? Is there a different way of explaining it that's going to have a better result in a shorter space of time? So, yeah, it's using that data for sort of a win-win for everyone, really, from the L&D team who's creating it in the first place to the end user who's consuming it. So, obviously, there's a desire to get started. So, um, Laura, is it... How straightforward is it to do that? How, how would someone get started? I think the easiest way would be to start with Google Analytics. It's a really easy bit of code to add to your platform. And then have a look at tools like Google Data Studio. Start pulling in some really basic reports from that. You can get those automated so they can be sent to your stakeholders. See the kind of thing that they engage with. What is it that they're asking you questions on based on the reports? Look to adapt your reports from there. Um, see what insights you get. And then just extend that and carry on and it is actually so quick and easy to to drop google analytics code into a course that um certainly for any adapt course that we build then uh, we'd be happy to drop that in for no charge whatsoever If you want to continue the conversation, you can catch up with us as usual on Twitter where we're at Kineo or via our website which is kineo.com and if you're interested in picking up a copy of the full report on data in L&D, be sure to check in regularly with us on social and we'll let you know when that's available.